Well, let's take our Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, and this is the final message in our uh, Supernatural series. And we're going to look today at something we've tried to look at a few weeks ago, but we got snowed out. Y'all remember that? The welcome spring snowstorm, which by the way, we had another one of those on, what was it, on Thursday? I was with Matt Mills, we were at the house talking, and Matt just said, it's snowing outside. I was like, what? And I looked, and it, it was snowing outside, and it didn't quit. So, I think we're out of it. Y'all think, y'all think so? Okay, because this, this winter was trying to hold on. But let's take our Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 20 and 21, and then we're going to jump in to the message. The Bible says, Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 20, Now to him who is able, speaking of God, to do far more abundantly beyond or above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This morning, our driving thought is that exactly what the verse says. God can do far more abundantly above and beyond all that we could ever even ask or think. Now, if you're like me, you're naturally somewhat skeptical. Can we just have a moment of truth here in Rocky Mount Baptist Church on Sunday morning? Are there those of you that you're more on the skeptical side, anybody else other than myself? A few honest people. I see some of the half waves going up. That's like, I don't know if I'm going to get called out or if this is good. For those of us that are naturally a little skeptical, we treat subjects like miracles and the supernatural at at least an arm's length distance saying, I want you to prove to me that this can happen. Now, we emphasize and we, to the best of our abilities at Rocky Mount Baptist Church, do what's called expository preaching, which means that you pick a passage of the Scripture and you walk through that and you unpack what is here so that we would be able to connect with that and understand that in the 21st century. But in order to be expository, sometimes we have to have some windows, just like these windows let in the light, in order to understand that God's Word is still God's Word. So what we're going to do this morning, with this thought in mind from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21, we're going to look first off at whether you realize it or not, as a Western American, you have these issues that you probably deal with whether you realize it or not in regards to being a skeptic and not believing God's Word. And secondly, we're going to look at, with the time that we have left, at as many examples of modern, verified, evidenced miracles. Uh, If you have something to write, I don't know if you can remember this, Write this down. It's Craig Keener. It's a book called Miracles, The Credibility of the New Testament Accounts. I would highly encourage you to buy this book. If you can't buy it, steal it. I'm just kidding. Check it out from the library. This book, written by a godly man who has a PhD from Duke University. Do we have any Duke basketball fans? 
Okay? Don't want to start a fight. That always happens. That's kind of like the UNC and the Duke, kind of like, you know, Virginia Tech and Virginia and Cowboys and Redskins, that whole thing. But seriously, man, this book is absolutely awesome. And it is, it's been said that the research that's been done here, very biblical, has been the nail in the coffin of the greatest skeptic who ever lived. His name is David Hume. So let's look quickly at these three skeptical arguments that a lot of times we either hear or we think when it comes to believing God. God's word or believing in modern day miracles. Number one, we hear this quote, wise men choose probabilities, unquote, which means that if you're not a sucker, because we know there's one of those born, how often? Every minute. And I'd say, I don't know, given the current state of America, I'd say maybe every second, but we're not going to go any further on that. But wise men choose probabilities, which means that when you are confronted with or exposed to a so-called miracle account, the probability that it would be that it would have a natural explanation as opposed to supernatural. So the skeptics say, just go ahead and choose that it's not actually a miracle. Number two. There's the claim that there's never been like a dead man come to life or an actual miracle occur. It has never been observed in any age or country. In other words, look, even if we're possible, no one's ever seen or experienced a miracle. We're going to deal with that. Number three. Quote, the most ignorant and barbarous of these barbarians carry the report, meaning miracle accounts abroad, which means... The skeptics say that if you believe in miracles, you are uneducated, you are possibly illiterate. In other words, and and kids, your parents probably tell you not to say this word to people. Don't say it to people. This is what they're saying. uh, The skeptics about you if you believe in miracles. You are a stupid person. You you may be nice, but you're, you're you're just stupid. That's what you are. You're a barbarian. You're an ignorant savage. And it's interesting, for those of you who have studied the Bible for any amount of time, you know that years ago, like at the turn of the, the past century, early 1900s, there was this move, and it was called this. If you're going to take notes and Google it later, uh, it's called demythologizing the New Testament. Here, here's what it was. Well, we're, we're learning so much about science in the Western world. We hear these old stories and, and Bible verses like God is able to do far more exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. But we've got these scientific laws and we're making advancements in, in medicine. What we've got to do, all this group of theologians, we've got to take all of the quote-unquote mythology out of the Bible. Y'all tracking with me? So that modern man will accept the Bible. Little did these theologians know that when they quote unquote demythologized the Bible, they took the core of Christianity out. Which, by the way, you cannot be a Christian and not believe in miracles. Y'all realize that if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, this is what y'all crazy people believe. Bunch of nut jobs. You believe that this guy named Jesus went to a Roman cross executed by expert executioners and you believe that he was door knob, doornail, whatever it is, dead and you believe that he came back to life three days later. 
Good. Hey, by the way, visitors, we're still working through some of this Sunday morning awkwardness. Some people are still not sure if it's okay to say amen and give acknowledgement to truth. And God bless you all, those of y'all who did an unsolicited amen. Amen? Alright. So here's the thing. When you try to make the Bible, I hope y'all are tracking with me on this. When you try to make the Bible acceptable to culture, in other words, make it to where it won't offend anybody, you're ripping the gospel to shreds and making it into an idol that is of your own image. A Jesus that doesn't make anybody uncomfortable is not the Jesus of the Bible. Demythologizing the New Testament. There's nothing in here that's mythology. And by the way, the more I read and the more I learn, I, number one, realize I don't know anything. Y'all with me on that? My good night, I'm so ignorant. But the more... Knowledge that I acquire, the more I realize this is true. Now, before we get into these cases of miracles, I want to make two points, especially those of you who are raised in a, in a context such as myself, <clears throat> which is very biblical, but sometimes we, we, we hold miracle accounts at, at arm's length. What we're going to look at is descriptive not prescriptive. In other words, nothing that we're going to look at this morning is going to give you some type of special prayer formula that you can kind of put that uh, coin in the God jukebox of prayer and manipulate God to do whatever we want. We all on the same page with that? This is, this is descriptive. God can do what He wants, when He wants. And if and when God chooses not to heal, when God allows people to die of cancer, when there are cases where we have prayed and we have fasted, and we say, God, please heal my child or my friend or my mom or my dad, and God chooses not to, He doesn't become any less of God. He is still God. And if we could all be very honest this morning, we're going to jump into this full bore next week. We're going to look for seven weeks at the problem of evil, suffering. If God is all powerful, if God is all good, then why do bad things happen? Most of us, our skepticism that is so deep within the closet of our own heart that we can't even tell people in Sunday school we're dealing with it comes from this. We prayed that God would do something to heal someone, to help someone. And it doesn't seem like it happened in the time or in the way that we asked for. And it's the issue of what people would call unanswered prayer. Next seven weeks, we're going to deal with that very thoroughly, very systematically. But I don't want this sermon today for you to lose the blessing on it because you're thinking, well, if that's the case, then why didn't God answer my prayer? God is God regardless of how and when He answers our prayers depending on how we ask. So here's how the first step that we would respond to the skeptics when they say wise men choose probabilities. Number one, we would say that wise people choose evidence, not mere probability. For example, let's say that we're we're playing dice and the odds uh, of, of getting three sixes on the first roll, this is 216 to one. And for some of you silver-haired ladies who can play a mean bridge hand, did you know what the odds are of getting a perfect bridge hand? Let me see if I can say this right. This is somewhere along the lines of the national debt in terms of numbers. Got it. One trillion six hundred and thirty-five billion thirteen million five hundred and fifty-nine thousand and six hundred to one. But it has been recorded that a that a perfect bridge hand, ladies, has been dealt before. Now, if you were there, the odds are not that the perfect hand would be dealt, but if the perfect hand was dealt, the evidence is what? 
It was dealt. So you don't always go with probability. If we're truly wise, we go with evidence. Norman Geisler said this, The wise do not legislate in advance that miracles cannot be believed to have happened. Rather, they look at the evidence to see if God indeed has acted in history. You see, if God exists, then there is the possibility of miracles. If God does not exist, then there is no possibility for miracles. Number two, when the skeptics tell us there's no evidence for any miracle being observed in any country, we're about to break that down. <clears throat> and you should have a, a uh, an outline of that in your bulletin. First example, in the Philippines, a study was done. Some 83% of those who were prayed for by evangelical Christians, which means that Christians who believe the Bible and believe that salvation is only through Jesus, 83% reported dramatic healing in their bodies. The complaints healed in their reports ranged from cancer to tuberculosis, ulcers, heart trouble, tonsillitis, wounds and punctures, and even a dislocated Shoulder. There is a documented case also in the Philippines of a minister named Manuel Gonzalez where he was very weak and appeared close to death. Everyone had gathered around, but the Christians, instead of praying, Lord, receive him into your arms, they just prayed, God, would you please heal uh, this minister? They prayed for hours and suddenly he began to stir and jumped up out of the bed, fully recovered, the funeral was canceled, word spread, and he became an even more prominent Christian leader. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was praying for a man who was on death's door and he jumps up out of the bed, I think he's not the only one that would be jumping. Y'all with me? And by the way, um, for those of you that, that may still be dealing with skepticism, I just encourage you, check out these books. Everything that we have here, it's uploaded to the website. It's even, for you nerds, it's documented in Turabian style. That's what everybody else, the normal people said. Big deal. Who cares? But all of this is documented. It's on an academic level. So we're not just pulling it out of open windows or something like that um, with no source whatsoever. Also in Myanmar, uh, which most of us know as Burma before the name change, there was a young child, <clears throat> two months old, and his name was Noong. He began to run a constant fever of 101 to 105 degrees. The doctors tried to treat him as best they could, but they lacked adequate medicines. And this little two-month-year-old boy continued to vomit, and they thought that they were going to have um, to see him die. And in Myanmar, apparently, funerals are family obligations, so the family had to travel to a certain city to be there for the funeral of the mother's brother. And as they were climbing this mountain, moms, imagine you've got your two-month-old child who is on death's door. There is not enough medical help or supplies to do what is needed. You are praying. The whole family is praying, God, please save this child. They can only pray. And then this child, two months old, 101 to 105 degrees temperature, consistent vomiting, went from crying to laughing, and his temperature remained normal during the entire week they were there for the other family funeral. This was the beginning of an unexpected recovery, Keener writes. And all the family members praise God. And this young child is now 29 and has a music degree from Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. In India, it's been reported that there were hundreds of healings and thousands of conversions. And watch this, and I have Presbyterian friends so I can say this, in a Presbyterian church. 
Our Presbyterian brothers and sisters are not known for throwing healing services nor being crazy in their worship or preaching. And quote, the Evangelical Church of Indian, Tamil, grew from several hundred to 15,000 in 16 years, the growth driven partly through first-hand experience, first-hand experiences of healings and exorcisms. Uh, some of you know uh, Doug and Ann Fortner. I was able to talk to them uh, this past week, and they have told me that they have encountered many examples in India on the mission field of people being miraculously healed of deadly diseases. Also in India. How many of, uh, of you have ever seen the Jesus film? Do you remember that back in the 90s? You see, if, if, okay, a, a few. That's when it's, it's been the, the most widely spread evangelical movie, movie of Jesus. And it's been said in India itself, over 400,000, not people, but 400,000 villages have seen the Jesus film in their own languages. And it's been translated there into 51 languages. There was one example of a Jesus film worker that went to invite a Hindu family to see the film. And the daughter was suffering from dysentery. And by the way, those of you who know anything about the third world know that often things like that kill children. It kills people. With here, we could go down to Rite Aid and get something and be taken care of. The worker prayed for the daughter and the child was instantly healed. And 30 friends and relatives accompanied her to the film the Jesus film, and most of them became believers. Also in India, there was a lady uh, who had a, a large fi- fibroid tumor. And they said the only way we're going to be able to deal with this would be through uh, very rough surgery. She didn't want to go to surgery, but she confided in her one of her neighbors who was a Christian. And the neighbor offered just to pray for her, to pray for her condition. The neighbor prayed and this woman who was not a believer in Jesus Christ with the tumor, the pain instantly left and she returned to her home. Not Jesus followers, not the South. This is India saying that Jesus had healed her. Guess what her husband thought? Her husband thought that she was simply trying to avoid surgery. So her husband forcibly brought her back to the doctor to have another ultrasound to settle the matter. And the ultrasound showed that the very large tumors had absolutely vanished. And Kena records this. The social price of conversion in India is very high. But the family of this lady, they were so convinced that Jesus had healed her, they all became followers of Jesus, and the son is now even a pastor. Amen? In Africa, in Nigeria, there was a woman who was bleeding continually from an operation that was botched on her womb. She was dying. There was a leader, a Christian leader named Danny McCain there, who simply prayed for her, and she was healed and lived for 15 more years without the problem returning. Also in Africa, a boy who was born deaf experienced Christian prayer and was healed at the age of 15. There's even a chief uh, a judge there in Africa as well. And he was healed of the shaking palsy of the right hand. And he had previously suffered this affliction for three years. Now, I know that y'all are a Baptist church because if I was in any other church, y'all would be jumping in the aisles right now. But we've got a bunch of skeptics like myself. We all right? All this is documented. Let's go to Central America, Costa Rica, for our mission team. There was a child. Her name was Sarah Rodriguez. A third of her of her liver had been destroyed by a parasite. 
They went in and the x-rays showed exactly that. Parents, imagine what it would be like you go in and you see your young daughter and a third of her liver had been destroyed by a parasite. The doctor sent her home to die because there was nothing that could be done medically. The liver was just shredded. It was destroyed. But then this this child, this third grader, simply believed that God would heal her. And within days, Christians began praying for her, passionately praying that this little girl would be spared. And the child improved. Her mother brought her back after just a few days to get another x-ray. And the x-ray showed, in contrast with the earlier x-rays, that the liver was completely normal and Sarah remained in school and was able to be healthy. And you say, now hold on, Jeff. We've been talking for how many minutes about these third world places, Costa Rica, Central America, Africa, India, but what about here? I'm so glad you asked. Thank you somebody for asking. Let's just break it down for the super skeptic here in the U.S. You can Google this. This is a study that was done in 1988 by Dr. Randolph Bird. And here is the title of the study. It's a double-blind experiment. Positive Therapeutic Effects of Intercessory Prayer in a coronary care unit population at the San Francisco General Medical Center in California. Here's what they did. They had people sign a waiver and said, we're doing an experiment. We're going to have specific people praying for those of you who come in with heart issues. And we're going to see medically, verifiably, documented if there's any change there. And here's what this academic report concluded in their abstract. These data suggest that intercessory prayer to the Judeo-Christian God, a.k.a. the God of the Bible, amen, has a beneficial therapeutic effect in patients admitted to a coronary care unit. This included the patients who were being prayed for requested these things far less, they needed these far less than the others. Ventilatory assistance, antibiotics, and even diuretics the patients needed. Then another case, here in the U.S. in 1984, there was a young boy named Brad. He was eight years old. He had what's called an atrial septal defect, which would be like, for him, it was two holes, parents, in his heart. Now, this is often fairly common for small children, like like infants, but not for an eight-year-old boy. And his father was a skeptic. His dad's name was Ed. And his dad had seen the healing thing so abused. Which, by the way, can't we all agree that the healing thing has been so abused in the U.S.? Reach out and touch this screen. And when you do that, send money to me. And it's not like here. Y'all want to see what we spend? <laughs> we, we got like no secrecy here. You can see what everybody makes, what everybody spends. It's right there on the table. But to give just some simply blacklist, I'm not going to say it. Anyway, let's get back to this. He had seen the healing idea abused, and they scheduled his son for surgery. And dads, your eight-year-old son comes to you and he asks you, am I going to die? The dad answered honestly, he said, well, some people die, son, in heart surgery, but not all. And then the little boy asked a simple but a profound question, quote, can Jesus heal me? And dad's, guess what dad Ed said? He said, son, I'll get back to you on that. Skeptic. 
A few days later, the dad was praying. And God imposed uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Then the, the, they went to church and there was a, a speaker there who said, I, I, I want to pray for someone or anyone who needs physical healing. And then the dad encouraged a little boy to go forward. So here's this eight-year-old boy with a heart problem. And the minister asked him and said, do you believe that Jesus can heal you? The little boy said, yes. So they prayed. Nothing happened. They're finally ready for the surgery. The dad returned to the waiting area after seeing his son go in. And after only about an hour, the surgery was supposed to take four to six hours. After an hour, parents, the cardiac surgeon, the pulmonologist, and the risk management director from the hospital entered the waiting area. And they asked Ed, the dad, to accompany them. And he was so nervous that they said, you see where the blood was leaking from one chamber to the next. They were showing him these x-rays. And finally, he interrupted and said, what happened to my son? And they said, sir, your son Brad is in the recovery room. And he says, I beg your pardon? The surgeon explained that there was nothing wrong with Brad's heart. Even through the holes that were clearly there the day before. Day before x-rays, day of the surgery x-rays. Everything was normal. And the doctor said, you can count this as a miracle. And the pulmonologist said, parents, somebody somewhere must have been praying. The hospital risk manager added firmly, this is, this is almost funny, you can see from the films that it was not a misdiagnosis. Covering your back, legal issues, you know how that goes. So he, the, the doctor asked, when is, when is little Brad's next baseball game? Because he had to stop playing baseball. And they said, well, it, it's on Tuesday. And he said, um, or it was on Thursday, and this was on Tuesday. And he said, well, he'd be able to play in the game on Thursday. So the, he shows up at the game. He, he was possibly not even going to make it out of the surgery. The little boy runs onto the field to play second base. And one of his buddies named Paul spotted him. And seeing Brad walk out of the field, Paul said, Hey, did God heal you? And then Brad shouted back. He said, Yeah, and threw his fist up in the air. And then the game started. A kid on the other team hit the ball, and he made an amazing catch, to which another parent on the other team said, That was a miracle, to which the dad says, You have no idea. And I love this final part. Y'all know when you get anything done, you have to have mounds of insurance paperwork done, don't you? Right. The agent from the insurance company later complained about the forms he received, and he said this, What is a spontaneous closure? Whoop! <laughs> Two holes, God shows up, whoop! And then the dad says, It is simply a miracle. Brad is now in his 30s, who has a business and children of his own, and he's never had any heart problems since his healing. Also in the United States of America, there was a case of a nine-year-old girl, deaf without hearing, with her hearing aid, and she was praying for healing. She was instantly healed to the audologist's amazement. And this consultant dumbfoundedly said, I don't believe you, it's not possible. Deaf people don't just automatically get their hearing back. It doesn't happen. And the doctor's report, I love this, admitted her hearing was completely restored to normal. I was 
completely unable, a doctor, doctor, I was completely unable to explain this phenomenon. I can think of no rational explanation as to why her hearing returned to normal. There being a severe bilateral sensineural loss. And we could go on and on and on. You say, now Jeff, why doesn't God do more miracles? He does. This is just one example of it. But do you remember what Jesus said about the rich man who was in hell? He was in hell saying, God, send Lazarus back to warn my brothers. And Jesus says, if they don't believe the message of the law and the prophets, if they don't believe the gospel, they will not believe even if someone rises from the dead. And don't you remember that story when those ten lepers came to Jesus? It was like the AIDS virus of the day before any type of antibiotics, anything. And they came saying, Jesus, please heal us. And Jesus heals all of them. But yet nine went away. Their bodies were healed, but their souls were not saved. Only one came back in brokenness and repentance. And I want to pose a question to every single one of us here. What good would it be to have our bodies temporarily healed and go to hell permanently? You see, what, what, what good would it be for God to answer our prayers and heal us if that would bring us not to a state of brokenness and repentance? You see, physical miracles and natural miracles are always, we could say this, you may even want to write this down, miracles, God always uses miracles as smoke clearers so we can see the God behind the miracle so that we would put our faith in Him and not just be enamored with supernatural stuff, but we would fall in love with the One who is able to do miracles. And this final statement is from a doctor. Dr. Rex Gardner says, that God does heal in the late 20th century should be accepted on the evidence of all these case records. If you do not accept those two statements, you may ask yourself what evidence you are prepared to accept. And I'll just submit to you guys this morning, the greatest miracle is not God healing that boy's heart. The greatest miracle is not that little girl in Costa Rica's liver being restored. The greatest miracle is not a broken leg being made whole. The greatest miracle is God coming in and changing your heart, forgiving us of our sin, making us a new creation from the inside out. That's the greatest miracle. And if anything, what we looked at this morning should be a smoke clear for those of us who've been saved to look at the God who works miracles, the God behind the miracle, the God in the miracle, and be able to see Him and fall in deeper love with Him. And if you've never been saved here today, you say, Jeff, you read from Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 when we began this message. To Him who is able to do far more abundantly above all that we ask or think. Jeff, I have serious doubts if God could truly change my life. I've had too much sin. I've had too much self. I've done too many things wrong. Listen, God is far greater than your sin. He's able to save you. He's able to take it from you and make you new. And that's what we're going to give you an opportunity to do right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? If you know that you need God in your life. You know that you have lived a life that has not been pleasing to Him. You know that there's nothing that you could ever do to be good enough to pay back for the sins that you've committed. But God has shown you this morning that you need to not try to do better. You just need to give your life to Jesus. Right now in this moment, just tell Him, say, God, 
save me. I'm a sinner. Save me. Give your life to Jesus right now. Tell him that you have faith that he can save you from yourself. Save me, Jesus. There are some of you, and and you've been saved, and, and weekly, weekly, the offer is given for you to follow Jesus and be obedient in standing out before men and giving your witness, you need to be baptized. Say, but I love Jesus, I'm serving Him, I'm following Him, but I need to, I need to follow in that step of obedience. Just like Brad and Jennifer did just here a few weeks ago. Why don't you come? I'm going to be standing down here in the center aisle. What we do at this church is we all stand and we, we just sing a simple hymn. At the end of this service. And, and when we do that, we're giving, giving everyone who God is speaking to a chance to, and I'll be here in the center aisle, just to walk down and to say, if, if you're here today and it is your day to start following Jesus for real, why don't you come? I'll pray for you. Just say, Jeff, I'm ready to follow Jesus. If you need to join this church, some of you, this is where God has brought you. He has shown you that this is where you need to serve. This is your faith family. Why don't you come? You can come by letter, by statement, whatever you have. And there may be some of you that, that you say, Jeff, well, would it be appropriate for me to pray today for physical healing for myself, for someone else? Yes. It's up to God. He is God. He answers in the way that is always best, even though sometimes we may not understand it. But sure, maybe you need to come here at the front and pray for someone who is experiencing a lot of physical pain. Maybe you need to come and pray for someone who needs to be saved. The altar is open. You need to uh, follow the Lord in whatever way we ask you to come. Lord Jesus, this is your invitation. Would you give men and women courage to step out and step forward for you? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.